0: Welcome to MFA Writers, the podcast where we talk to creative writing MFA students about their program, their process, and a piece they're working on. I'm your host, Jared McCormick. Today on MFA Writers, I'll be having a conversation with the poet Sasha DeBevick McKinney, who just this past month graduated with an MFA in creative writing from New York University. Her poems have appeared in the Yale Review, Nashville Review, Peach Mag, and elsewhere. While at NYU, she was the 2018 Rona Jaffe graduate fellow, and she was recently named the 2020-2021 J.C. and Ruth Hall's poetry fellow at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. Sasha, it's great to have you here.
1: Hi, I'm so happy to be here.
0: I'm I'm so excited to talk to you. Um, I mean, you're a wonderful writer and uh, you already have so many amazing accomplishments but I'm curious if you remember the first time you wrote something that like you realized the power of words, like, was there a moment where you thought, (laughs) Oh, that was cool. I want to do that again.
1: (laughs) Um, Okay. Well, I, I went to like arts high school, so Mm -hmm. I was really lucky. Like I got to take workshops and stuff when I was like 14 (laughs) and that's like a whole thing. But through that program, I think I was really encouraged to, like, just feel everything. You know what I mean? So I would write these, like, super dramatic, as you do, teenage poems, you know? And I would try really hard to, like, pull, I think, at my parents' heartstrings, especially, you know? Like, I would always talk about my grandpa, and I would always talk about this, like, big historical stuff. Or, like, not historical, but, like, ancestral stuff that I didn't really understand, but I thought was, like, dramatic, you know?
0: So do you remember, like, getting a reaction from your parents?
1: Yeah, I do. I mean, I I love getting a reaction. (laughs) (laughs) That's my number one thing. But I was going to say, like, um, through that program, I also I met this woman, Christine Palm, who was one of my teachers. And she really encouraged me to uh, submit to this thing called Fresh Voices, which was the Hartford Current, like, 20 years old and, or I think even 30 fresh voices is Connecticut. Everyone is like very old, I think. So like fresh voices, they're like 30 and younger. Yes. We love your opinion. And I was like 14 and I just basically wrote about how I'm like a huge nerd and I'm obsessed with American history and presidents. And I always have been my whole life. And I just wrote this little like essay that was like, I can't wait to vote for the first time. And the Harvard current was like, yes, we'll publish it. And like, I remember waking up at like five in the morning and going to the little like newspaper thing by my house and like buying the copy of the newspaper and just like being so freaked out and scared and excited. And like, I think 14 oh,
0: years God. old and like knowing that other people like random strangers are going to be reading this thing that you wrote.
1: Terrifying. And it was about politics. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like why? I don't know. But I mean, especially lately um, I've been like, what is the point of poetry? Question mark, question mark, question mark. When everyone is like has no money and is dying from a disease and there is a revolution, et cetera. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. So <laughs> it's just like, for me, I've always associated like being political with like, you know, that big, like words have power.
0: Yeah. 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 So then, so you were 14 when you, um, wrote that your first publication. Amazing. (laughs) And then, um, and then a few years later, you ended up going to Beloit college to study creative writing. So, connect those dots for me. How did you, you grew up in Connecticut, right? Yeah. How'd you end up in a little liberal arts school in Southern Wisconsin?
1: I was really lucky. Um, I literally, again, this is me pulling at my parents' heartstrings. My mom grew up in Wisconsin and I'm a dramatic poet and I'm always like, everything has to connect to something else. So my mom grew up in Wisconsin. So I'll go to college in Wisconsin and so I think I read somewhere that Beloit had like a good creative writing program. I'm such a mess. I, that was the only school I applied to. I was like, I, you guys, this is fine. Right. And then, yeah.
0: <laughs> that is so funny. Yeah. I applied to one school.
1: Oh. Um,
0: yeah. One school. I applied to the university of Missouri because it was like 40 minutes from home. I grew up in this tiny town and I remember thinking like, where else would I go? <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) I mean my grades were good like I could have gotten into probably plenty of schools but University of Missouri.
1: Yeah I was kind of like oh this is in Wisconsin and they teach creative writing (laughs) (laughs) and it's small classes so I will get attention.
0: Yeah that's important.
1: Yeah and I did get attention I think that's like the number one (laughs) diff that's like the big thing.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, tell me about, like, your development as a writer at Beloit. I saw this tweet that you sent out when you, um, when you found out that you were going to be one of the Wisconsin Institute for Creative Writing Fellows. You sent a shout-out to the writer Rebecca Hazleton, who was your professor at Beloit, and you yes. said that she literally taught you the concept of line breaks. So I'm just <laughs> curious to hear about your development when you were at Beloit.
1: Yes. Um, I mean, I think, hmm... Beloit is such a weird place full of weirdos um, and it's great and I love it. And like, again, that's another big through line for me is just like being confident enough to like be who I really was. <laughs> Obviously, like every time you're, I'm assigned a book of poetry or whatever, it changes me and I learned something, period. Right. Of course. How much reading did I do? I don't know. But to be in a community of a bunch of other weirdos who had no problem being weird, I was like, oh, I can just be weird in my poems and my life. And also Beloit, um, everything kind of over, kind of crossed over, you know, there was a lot of freedom. So, like, I was an American studies minor, quote unquote. But to me, I was just like, all right, I'm going to take any class I think kind of fits under that umbrella, And then I would just kind of like in my creative writing classes, write about the things that I was learning about in my history in American studies classes. Like it was a factory circle, (laughs) you know, like I took the class and we I'm realizing now I was really lucky to take a class where we read black people at that point. I was like, yeah, of course we're reading black people. (laughs) But like um, I took a class where we would read, you know, like Huey Huey P. Newton and Angela Davis and all that stuff and John Lewis. And I would, be inspired by that and write about that. Like,
0: yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Uh, and I love that idea of like just being around weirdos allowed you to be yourself because I felt the exact same thing when I first went to college. And I mean, the university of Missouri is like a huge, you know, research one university state school. So it's different than like a liberal arts school in Beloit. But I remember because I was from that tiny town I remember going to college, going to the university in Columbia, Missouri, and being like, the people here are so interesting. And I just started like being like, I could be interesting, too. (laughs) Me,
1: too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. No, it's it's like, yeah, that's what happens. You're like, oh, my God. I am not the same as everyone else and everyone else is not the same. This is interesting. <laughs> yeah. And that's a
0: good thing. Yeah. Difference okay. is interesting, right? Being weird is cool. I mean, what a novel Being idea. It is
1: cool. I know like at my heart, in my heart of hearts, I am a nerd period. Like I rolled into Bloyd college with my like ministry of silly walks poster. Like I'm a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> so like, it was just really nice to be like, Oh, I don't have to hide anything, and that translates in that confidence translates in your writing. Obviously,
0: yeah. And a nerd who's really into presidents. Apparently, is that why you minored in American Studies?
1: Yes. Yeah, I'm just like I have. I'm. I'm learning to say that I study presidents instead of like (laughs) I'm obsessed with presidents because it makes it sound like it's like a thing I endorse. When in reality, I'm just like I. This is a thing that is very fascinating to me,
0: <laughs> right?
1: Um, and encapsulates a lot of other parts of American history. Um, yeah. So my teachers would be like, "Okay, I guess you can write your paper about it, presidents again. Whatever. It's Beloit College. There's 1,200 of us. We're doing whatever we want." And then like Rebecca, who you mentioned, yeah. was my uh, thesis advisor in my last semester at Beloit. And I took a class with her where we read like all this weird stuff, like house of leaves. And like, we learned about erasure and like we did all this really technical stuff. And like, you know, like that changed me too. Where I was like, I went from being like, okay, this is not just me putting all my feelings out there. There, Like that was the turn into craft. I think would definitely be that point where it's like, when you break a line, what does that do to the line and what does that do to the words and the emphasis and all that, that I haven't thought about before.
0: (laughs) Yeah. When you, instead of just writing poems about your grandmother, you're, you know, thinking about. Exactly. Yeah.
1: I'm not just like, here's my giant mallet that I'm going to just try and get everyone down. Like how can I make everyone go ugh or whatever? Like, yeah, it ended up, it turned more towards subtlety. (laughs) Although Uh I'm the least subtle person in the world but just kind of at least understanding that that was there
0: as an option. Well, I think as a reader, it's, it's, it's easy to read um, poetry like yours and say that, like, like this, oh, this person's just having fun. But, like, no, there's a real craft to it, and there there are subtleties to it, and there are, like, tiny, lots of tiny decisions that you're making in every moment that you're writing that poem, right?
1: Yeah, that's like the biggest insult to me all the time. People are like, my God, (laughs) this is so funny. This is like super conversational. And I'm like, no, I freaked out about this for six months. And it was the only thing I thought about. Uh,
0: Yeah, I changed the same word 17 times and ended up at the word I had originally.
1: (laughs) Yes. And honestly, when we were thinking about like words having power for talking about that question, I still remember like the first where I was, this was in high school when I read a Lucille Clifton poem for the first time. And I was like, Oh, I understand everything that's happening here. Whereas like every other poem, I was like, wait, what? Like, why are you trying to keep secrets from me?
0: That is a powerful (laughs) moment as a reader. Right. Yeah. Uh, I remember growing up reading things and feeling like, I know this is good, but I don't know why. And I don't know what it means.
1: Yeah. And that's and then, like super alienating.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Especially yeah, as I mean, a weirdo. Yeah. As a weirdo who wants sure. to be a writer.
1: Yes. <laughs> I'm Like, please explain this to me. No. Yeah. Nothing really. Yeah.
0: But that moment <laughs> but, where it like, where it clicks or the first time when you read something and you're, you're like, this is a complicated, thoughtful piece and I get it. It's really exciting.
1: It's really, yeah, exactly. And for me for the most part that always i think leans towards the more like simple yeah yeah and that this is now going to be the second effing time i bring up monty python but like (laughs) which probably they should all be canceled i'm sure 10 times over except michael palin (laughs) fingers crossed (laughs) but like when i think about like the jokes that make me laugh the most i'm like oh it's the dumbest jokes it's like someone walking funny or like someone's trying to do something and they can't like, and that's what I want in everything that I enjoy. I think, you know, like something that I can touch and hold on to. And I'm like, Oh yeah. Okay. A banana's on the ground and the person slipped on the banana. Yeah,
0: (laughs) That's funny. Yeah, It's objectively funny.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Like I get it. (laughs) I like having that thing that we can both hold on to.
0: Well, um, Speaking of of funny, so so I'm on this email list, um, and my friend sends out uh, a couple of his favorite poems every day, Um, and this past week there have been a couple by Sharon Olds, which made me think of you, and made me think of one of my favorite poem titles of all time, (laughs) which is, when I met Sharon Olds, she told me to write a poem about LBJ's penis. (laughs) yes which is your poem that's published in the yale review uh i have to hear the story so please tell me about sharon olds and how that poem came to be
1: um okay (laughs) sharon is one of the founders of the nyu program right but she's only there like she has a weird schedule like she's only there one every other year or only in the fall or whatever so we had never met (laughs) she she's been my teacher now but this was like the first time i met her we're at a little like party cocktail thing whatever as you do like in the nyu writer house writer's house and i had just listened to an episode of commonplace which is my professor rachel's uh podcast where she interviews poets and on that podcast she interviewed sharon And they had talked about The Bachelor for like a long time. And I'm obsessed with The Bachelor. And I was like, oh my God, Sharon Old is right there. And I know she loves The Bachelor. And The Bachelor finale was like the next week or something like that. You know what I mean? So I went up to her and I was like, Sharon, so nice to meet you. I'm Sasha. I don't actually want to have a normal conversation. (laughs) Please. Will you just tell me who you think is going to win The Bachelor? Who do you think Colton is going to choose? Is what I said. She was like, who do I think Colton is going to choose? I don't know. And who should choose him? Hmm. And I was like, Oh my God. And then she's just like the sweetest, kindest woman in the world. Um, and her, she cut like, she just, it, she has like a bunch of clips in her hair. She has giant braids. Like she just kind of is a poet. <laughs> and she's like, Oh, what do you write about? And I was like, Oh, presidents, LBJ. She was like, Oh, you write about LBJ have you written a poem about his penis? And I was like, (laughs) you know, like, as an LBJ historian, like, the penis is just, like, really obvious to me. And she was like, no, you have to write a poem about his penis. And then I literally, like, went home and wrote the poem. Because that's what happens when you're like, yes, actually. When
0: Sharon Sharon Olds tells you to do something, you do it.
1: You just do it. And also, like, of course you write about his – I was like, duh – like just because it's the number one thing that you know, doesn't mean that other people know it. you dummy and it's fun. Yeah. And I would say that poem in particular was like me being like, I'm going to be as vulgar as Sharon, seeing as she told me to write it.
0: <laughs> I yeah. love Sharon. Sharon Olds is a legend. Obviously she's an amazing writer. And like you said, she helped, um, start the program, which the, the program at NYU has been around for over 30 years now. Um, They have degrees in fiction, poetry, and nonfiction. Uh, It's a two-year program. And one of the biggest draws is the faculty, Um, Jeffrey Eugenides, Terrence Hayes, Joyce Carol Oates, Sharon Olds, Zadie Smith, I mean, and many, many more teach there. It's insane. (laughs) That's not even talking about the visiting faculty. Um, So was there a particular faculty member that drew you to the program? Or just like all of them together was a big (laughs)
1: deal. All of them together, essentially. Um, But, like, the thing is that hmm, uh, from the time – so I graduated from my – I got my undergraduate degree in 2012, 2013, December 2012. Mm -hmm. And then from 2012 until when I started my MFA in 2018, I was just, like, eight question marks, like – blacked out like draw like don't even know like xxx gone right so I basically was like I need to get my shit together I'm applying to MFAs I always wanted to do this I had applied at, for the UW MFA because I was living in Madison and got rejected a couple times and essentially my friend was like you need to apply to NYU you write like an NYU writer I had been reading Morgan Parker who went to NYU like she's truly like saved me I was like so drunk and sad and like found her book somehow and was like the wheels started turning I was like okay like I could maybe this isn't completely gone like maybe this is the thing that I really love and then I've been missing and then my friend told me to apply at NYU and then <laughs> I got a fellowship <laughs> like it was kind of like I applied to like seven places and I was like look I'm the city scares the shit out of me i I love terrence i love sharon i love all these people but like that's really scary and then they kind of made it where it's like if you if i had said no it would have been like the dumbest shit ever you know like they were like here come we'll pay for you to go and you don't have to do shit and you can just write all the time and i was like fine (laughs) (laughs) if i have to that's not being being like disrespectful just like me being having like a severe anxiety disorder (laughs) Yeah, but I, is- I did it and it was totally worth it and then after I got in because I'm a neurotic person I was like I will now buy a book of poetry by everyone on the whole staff and then that's when I fell in love with Rachel Zucker's work and if I had read Rachel before that would have been like the only that would have been my number one 10th like far and away my number of reason for going
0: yeah I feel awful <laughs> that I only read like six names but there are like <laughs> 15 so- people that I could list and
1: yeah, and also like, uh, like Megan O'Rourke teaches there, and she's the editor in chief of the Yale Review, and like that's how I got that. And then, like, do you know what I mean? Like, there, yeah, everyone, there's so many. I took a class where we read a book every week, and then like the author of that book came in, you know, and it would be like, yeah. oh, this week Ocean Vuong is coming into your class, and you're like, okay, cool, amazing. I should probably do the reading. He's gonna be there, <laughs>
0: that's amazing, yeah, um yeah it's fun and i mean and and it's true that networking is a huge part of these programs, i think, just i mean it's so hard to break into this industry, and if you can get into an m f a program and meet people like this who are editing the yale review i mean it's a i mean it's a yeah. huge help,
1: yeah, I mean, it obviously sucks to talk about, but it's just the reality yeah of the it situation. it does right.
0: <laughs> Right. Um, you know, I told someone the other day, it would be nice to, to just be able to say like, um, I didn't go to an MFA program. I just like did it on my own and became a famous writer, but, but also it's fine to go and learn from people who are really good at what they do and to find out that they're also cool weirdos like us and spend some time with
1: them. is a full weirdo.
0: Awesome. (laughs) tell me about terrence hayes
1: oh i mean he's really tall (laughs) (laughs) he's like the dreamiest person in the world but also he's like um i only care about poetry
0: (laughs) well okay so like a couple of things that i want to like respond to one is that like i don't want to say that like um getting into an MFA just like means you're going to make it. Right. I mean, you talk about Terrence Hayes, who just like li- lives and breathes poetry. You, I, I find this misconception a lot with people who's, who think if I just get into an MFA program, then I, you know, that means I make it. And it's like, you have to put in so much work. You have to live and breathe this stuff. If you, if you want to be able to make like a living yeah. out of it. Right?
1: Yeah. That's why it's, I mean, there's a bunch of people in my program who are like 23, and I was like, okay, <laughs> I, I'm really glad that I didn't go until I was older. Yeah, I my maturity level right now is probably at about 24, <laughs> so like I'm just I would just barely manage it, but like it does seem, hmm. I was like, I was sober also for like the first year and a half of my program. So I was literally like, this is it. I have 10 LBJ biographies. I go up until 1940 in this one. And then I read all 10 up until 1940. And then I read up until 1945. And then I read all of them up until 1945. You know, it's like, I was so in it. But that's, that's where like the Sharon Olds, that's how come like the Sharon Olds poem came like this because i had spent six months reading about lbj you know yeah and it's yeah, like all created... the just floating in there
0: yeah you <laughs> created this like kind of subconscious foundation that you could work from right
1: right and that's definitely not a place i've ever been able to get to anywhere other than the mfa i think you know
0: yeah I think. so the uh the other thing that i wanted to go back to was um you mentioned like that your friend told you you write like a New York writer. So I want you to talk about what that means. And also, um, you know, like in my program, I always say that I, I, the, my cohort, there, there's such a diversity of ideas and a diversity of experiences that really inspire me. But there's not always a diversity in the way people look right and so and that's that's an issue with a lot of MFA programs um so I if you wanted to talk about that at all and like how you felt in the NYU program if you felt comfortable if you felt it was diverse
1: uh yes I mean I think the NYU like the cohort is super diverse and that and that's what I'm saying it's like no matter how much or if there were situations when it was, like, difficult for one of us, we all stood up for each other
0: mm-hmm.
1: in situations like that. Um, but I'm not, and that like, and also I've, I, I've been talking to a lot of prospective students that are, like, oh, should I go to NYU? And it's, like, I'm a, I'm a woman of color. Like, it might be hard. And I'm, like, it's going to be hard. At every single MFA program, it will be difficult, like it is at every institution, at every college, et cetera, et cetera. But like, I feel at least like at NYU, I was lucky because people were. It was a little bit more diverse in the in how people actually looked yeah. um, in the poetry department, at least. Okay. <laughs> Can't speak for fiction or nonfiction necessarily. Um, but that, that kind of shit is like really, really powerful, not sorry, that kind of shit that sounds so glib, but like, that is super powerful. You know, when you're like questioning your ability as a writer and someone's like, yes, you are a human being and you are a writer and it's okay that you don't want to read this hurtful such and such poem by such and such writer.
0: So what do you, what do you think, uh, like when you, when you hear the term New York writer, what does that mean?
1: Oh, New York writer. Well, okay. To me, it just means like really, first of all, it means Frank O'Hara. Like, uh, it means like knockoff Frank O'Hara poem, which I'm fine with. Like, like, if anybody, yeah. That's like the number one thing. It means like fast. um, Nothing seems connected to anything else, but it all is. And they all seem to me to be um, walking poems, but maybe that's my Frank O'Hara association. But like, to me, when I think of a New York poem, I think of like movement, like a lot of movement.
0: When I went to New York for the first time, uh, I think movement could have been the one word that I would choose to describe New York City. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's a lot. It's overwhelming. I'm just a scared little nervous poet. So it was a lot for me, <laughs> but, um, but humbling Yeah. <laughs> in a good way. I, did, I feel like I already said this or maybe I haven't, but just like I would go to workshop and I'd be like, oh my God, I wrote the best poem of all time. I'm a genius. Like my poem is the greatest poem ever. And then I would walk at a workshop and like get lost in two seconds and be like, I'm nothing. <laughs> like I'll, I'm crying now. Like, and that balance is really good because I feel like if I was in some small town, like I would walk out of the workshop being like, I'm a badass. And then
0: Well, most people consider Kansas City to be a small town, and um, I will say that uh, the high that I get from a positive workshop still doesn't last very long.
1: (laughs) Okay, I'm just going to hold on to my idea. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because that makes me happier. One day I'll be in a workshop, not in New York. (laughs) Yeah, uh,
0: I'm lucky if I get 48 hours of... uh...
1: (laughs) 48 hours, yeah, no, that's... But okay, but fiction workshops, I feel like it's like a whole... This is my... Cause we at the, so NYU, we have like this uh, writer's house where all the um, offices are, all the classes are, and it's just like a place where we all hang out, like, and don't do anything and just like chill and all the parties are and all the readings are there.
0: I bet that would be a cool place to just um, like find support too. You were talking about like the support of your classmates to have that shared space that you can all hang out in. I mean, I know in, in, uh my program, you know, not everyone lives in the city. Um, some people drive in, some people have day jobs. So um I wish that we had that space where we could all hang out. Um I mean we we often go to the bar after a workshop and we talk and we like support each other, but <laughs> yeah, the idea of having like um like a house that you could go to and just it just be you sounds amazing.
1: It was amazing. I remember that's what I was gonna say. Is that that's how I've any interaction I've really had with like fiction MFA people, it's like, they're like, okay, I've been working on this for months and now I'm going to get, I can't talk and everyone's going to destroy it. And like, it just seems so much different than me being like, I wrote this poem this week. (laughs) Let's talk about it. (laughs) So it's just different levels of, I don't know. I don't know if I could do a fiction workshop. Every time I try and write a short story, I'm like, "Mm, this is too hard. (laughs)
0: uh it it is hard um but so is poetry i've tried that too so so uh yeah they're definitely different um so you mentioned that you were you know lucky enough to get that fellowship that funded you um from what i can tell nyu has a ton of fellowships but not everyone is fully funded in the program um so i'm curious if if you know how like some of your classmates handled that
1: it's so I'm like coming from such a place of privilege because I had a fellowship but it's like I mean I still have I worked at a restaurant two days a two or three days a week I worked brunch in Williamsburg which is the worst thing on earth like truly (laughs) um and I had it easy um but like again like uh, it's really hard for me to like recommend anyone like go do an MFA and like pay a lot of money for it because it's about creating that headspace to, for me personally, creating my headspace of this is all I think about. This is all I care about. This is on a running loop in the back of my head.
0: And having the privilege three out of four, yeah. And having the privilege to be bored, right?
1: Uh, yes.
0: Because boredom be. is a huge, is, is incredibly valuable to, um, to like writing anything I find.
1: Absolutely, <laughs> I've been running some crazy weird. Not yes, boredom. Yes, exactly. When you're literally like, oh, my, I, maybe this thing that I happen to be thinking about somehow I got here from ten thousand links away. <laughs> like,
0: yeah, and um, I they're mean they're connected. Yeah, and you don't. It's it's harder to get to those like random moments if you're worried about how you're going to eat or. Uh, absolutely
1: like yeah I can't and especially New York's full of like all like there's a lot of instability with like housing all the time everyone's always moving around like it's just it's just and it's so loud yeah
0: yeah and I mean for you know um like you said it's kind of with the pandemic everything that's been going on like even crazier times so um so I'm curious if you could like walk us through your last couple months in the program. I mean, you were one of the lucky few who halfway through your last semester in an MFA program, the university shut down. So, yeah. What? How did that look for you? Did you have like Zoom thesis defense or something?
1: Super glam. Um, no, we basically. So I was also teaching <laughs> my last semester. So that was like the, for me, that was the big transition. And also like, um, yeah, basically they were like, classes are going to go remote. I was like, okay, interesting. Uh, We take one, I don't know how other programs are set up, but we take one craft class and one workshop class. Um, And my craft class was all about like, methods and stuff so like we were all not not methods i don't know the right word to say it but or to use but it was all about doing stuff like physically with your hands so like collaging like cutting things out collaging like even right here i'll show you i mean it doesn't this is a visual medium but like i have all these little strips of paper because i've been doing all these collages at home because i was we were supposed to do that together you know like and we bought all this like book making stuff you know like Literally, like, we were making journals and, like, doing all this weird technical stuff, and we were going to go to the NYU library and, like, do all this mail art, and it all just completely fell apart, and then we were just, like, on Zoom for an hour to an hour and a half, kind of, like, just chatting, and my workshop was, I mean, God bless Sharon, God bless her, she's beautiful there, she has many positives, she has negatives too, one of which being that she literally did not have the internet before this. So we had to like wait for Sharon to literally get the internet, I which is sweet, right? Like I'm like, oh my God, so cute. But also I'm like, I'm not paying for this, right? <laughs> so like I, like there's just all these different things where it's like, oh, I'm supposed to finish my thesis, but also like, I don't really like have the will, like I can't leave the house because I'm like scared that some germs are going to get on me. Like it was very back and forth. And also our thesis only has to be for the poetry program, it only has to be 25 pages. Oh. So for, for some people, it's like 25 pages of poems is a giant hurdle, you know? But I, my ass is like, I've got five, six-page poems. Like, I'm just... It wasn't really, like, a big thing for me to put it together. In another world, I would have loved to actually finish the program with, like, a manuscript that was 60 pages long that I could send out to, like, as a book. Um, but... I basically just had to adjust all my expectations um, about everything and my own abilities to like do this during like a pandemic and like having really bad anxiety and like uh, being obsessive is really great. And I've lot all my good qualities that make my poems interesting also make my life slightly difficult. Um, so like, I basically was like, okay, I'm gonna put together the poems that I have, not writing anything new. I'm not doing hundred percent. I was like 150% for the first three and a half semesters and then kind of just had to shift back and be like, we're going to get this done. We didn't have to do thesis defense or anything. We kind of were just like, uh, Nick Laird was my thesis advisor. Um, so we talked on the phone, he read some of my new poems and then I was like, okay, I'm going to send this in. you know like i live with my dad and he's 65 and he's like a black man and he's like has all these, he has like some health issues so it's like i don't have time to think about this. right, right. <laughs> and i don't care and then also to come back to my poems at a time when i everything is like you know to put it together and be like okay well i did all this i finished teaching i finished my mfa i did my thesis like in the middle of the pandemic also feels good to say like yeah despite all the shitty stuff like we all did it
0: yeah i mean and there's just there's so much going on right now that can be a distraction like we talked about when you need that mental space um like for instance i was looking through your twitter and i saw (laughs) i saw this tweet that you had on june 7th that really resonated with me in which you talked about how your father's high risk for COVID-19 and how like the, the pandemic had caused anxiety for you. Um, and my dad, he was recently diagnosed with cancer and had to have his kidney removed in like mid April. Um, and that, and that was like, I, it triggered some anxiety issues that I didn't even know I had. So I've also been dealing with that. So like just, wanted to say wow. I see you I hear you <laughs> you're not alone i you know like lots of people I think right now are dealing with this stuff um but I also wanted to ask you about like because there's we haven't even talked about the fact that there are protests in the street for um you know the Black Lives Matter movement and you know part of that tweet was you talking about how um you didn't feel comfortable being in the streets right now because of all these other things that were happening in your life. And so I, I mean, that really resonated with me. And, and I I think like anyone who like cares about this movement wants to be in the streets right now, but I I don't know. Is there like, do you think about what we can do as writers? Um, Like how we can use our voice or our platform to like further the black lives matter movement or just equality in general?
1: I mean it's so hard. I mean it's not I mean I don't know like I, this is so like totally like I'm I'm obsessed and I've been studying this super harmful institution of the presidency like literally my whole life like I mean like even just you can see my Ronald Reagan teapot <laughs> like i just have all this dumb shit that i was like this is funny you know what i mean what like but then when you or like but
0: then you, you are living in a room with ronald reagan staring at you. you
1: yes literally oh terrifying i actually that's why he's at home right now that's why i have to turn that away from my brain <laughs> okay only or for my eyes um only to say like I try really, 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 really hard in my work always to be very aware of my privilege. (laughs) It doesn't always come through, but I'm like, okay, I am like literally like this light skinned, like curly hair, like this, this tight, like glasses type, like I'm more acceptable in a lot of spaces. Um, And I kind of have been trying to just like stand up for myself in like the small ways that i can you know like Mm -hmm. believing in myself like something that i always say and try to remember is like what would brad do this is just like a metaphorical like chad kind of figure (laughs) you know what i mean like literally like um i had a situation this week that i can't really talk about where they were like we're not sure that we're able to publish you and i was like you can go fuck yourselves you will be publishing me like you're not gonna play me like this you know what I mean? Which is like not something I ever would have done in four weeks or whatever, because I would have just been like, "Um, okay, well I'm this little one and like the institution is big and like we don't, whatever, like even me who I have no professional qualms whatsoever, like that stuff means nothing to me, but like, or sometimes it means nothing to me, but like for me personally, like trying to always be aware of my privilege in my writing And
0: to... I mean, I think that could be a starting place for all of us, right? Yeah. Everyone needs to do some introspection and think about their own privilege right now. Yeah. Uh,
1: And (laughs) something that I think is always insane is people being like, I'm changing the world. My poem is really political. My work is really political. And then you hear the poem and you're like, literally, what the fuck did that even mean? (laughs) So it's like, do you actually want to make change? Or do you want to show off how pretty your words are? And how willing are you to, like, take those two things and think about how they work together? Like, I think the number one obvious, like, person would be, like, um, Claudia Rankin, Citizen, who literally, like, this book, she could write the most beautiful poetic words ever. And she's like, no, I'm going to use full sentences. And I'm going to write it in a way that's, like, for white audiences And I'm gonna, I'm not writing in this pretty way that's poetic, like, uh, because that's not gonna reach as many people. Maybe that's not it. But but for me, like, when I read something like that, I'm like, okay, this has so many poetic elements, but it's not off-putting in a way a lot of poetry is, which makes it more effective for a wider audience to make more change. So, like, are you willing to, like, not put this flowery thing in here or not, like, show off about your writing so that you can just be understood you yeah know? i mean like, i think that's
0: you... i think that's a struggle just uh, like outside of this um this situation that we're talking about just across mfa programs or even like the literature world in general i find that too often um stories are written for like a very small amount of people who have been to have the privilege to be in MFA programs.
1: Yeah. Um, Like it's like a big preaching to the choir thing.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Which I mean, like becomes like a kind of a cyclical thing. I think, I mean, coming from a small town um, where it's so easy for people who um, may not have access to, um, you know, some of these programs or some of these like, like may not have access to higher education at all. um, Yeah would be really turned off by something that's clearly only written for the small percentage of people who have the privilege to go to these programs.
1: Right. And then, I don't know, that just doesn't feel super helpful to me personally. But again, like, yeah, I have, I'm, I'm not a be out in the streets person. I tried really hard in a former life to do that. And like, I'm just like, this is really loud. (laughs) And that that makes me uh, nervous. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I don't know.
0: Well, let's let's just go yeah. in, like, a completely different direction. Perfect. And <laughs> <laughs> so, just, like, on a much lighter note, you sent yes. a couple of your most recent poems to me before <laughs> yeah. the show. And I really wanted to talk to you about the one titled Stand-Up Routine. So, do you mind... <laughs> yeah introducing it and then reading it and then afterwards we can talk about it
1: absolutely i awesome. love it. i'm excited about this poem so this is just called uh stand-up routine and this is the most recent poem that i've written <clears throat> okay stand-up routine so i was watching babe last night you know the movie where the pig herds sheep And I can't stop thinking about the people in the crowd at the sheep herding competition who saw the pig herd sheep. I mean, go rewatch the movie. You can see some of these extras are giving the performance of a lifetime. Their lives change on their faces. They've just seen something truly remarkable. Something truly remarkable. Like, imagine you've been going to sheep herding competitions your whole life. You grew up doing it. Your father did it. His father. And now you want your grandson to herd sheep. It's only right and natural. And so one Sunday, you take him to lunch at your favorite diner, and you tell your favorite waitress you don't need another refill. And then the two of you drive out to the sheep herding competition, and you sit smugly on the benches, knowing exactly what to expect. And then the pig comes out and herds the sheep. And it's almost as if, and you feel crazy for thinking this, the pig is actually talking to the sheep. Your face opens, your world changes. What sporting event could ever top this? One weekend, your grandson invites you to his football game. He never got into herding sheep after all, and that's fine because you love him, and he scores the final goal, and the team lifts him up on their shoulders, and the whole time you're thinking, well, this isn't as impressive as when I saw that pig herd sheep. It's merely the truth. You're proud of your grandson. He's got a scholarship for the fall, but he's a human being who speaks English, who has been taught in English how to score goals. It objectively isn't as impressive. Nothing is. You used to love the bacon and tomato sandwich at that diner. The bacon was thick. The black pepper was freshly ground. The salt flakes were fat, but it's not as good as when you saw that pig herd sheep. I don't think they use freshly ground pepper anymore, you say, to your grandson. I mean, the sandwich is still good, but it isn't as good as the time we saw the pig. He finishes. He makes eye contact with the waitress. Talking about that pig again, Gary, she asks, dropping the check. You pay the check. You kiss your grandson on his cheek. He leaves for school tomorrow. You promised yourself you will relearn how to be impressed by your life. You will try to see something every day that could... Possibly be better than seeing the pig herd sheep. You go to the grocery store. You buy white bread, name brand mayonnaise, and thick cut bacon. You thank God just for a second that it is tomato season. You remake the sandwich from the diner exactly the way you liked it. It isn't even that hard. The sandwich is perfect. You're impressed by yourself and your innate ability to make a punchline of the world right back. You laugh out loud into your empty
0: kitchen. Yes, I love it. I love it. So like the whole time I was reading it, I was thinking like, it has a very postmodernist feel to it where like, it really felt to me like you were discovering the next line, like as you were reading it. And I don't know if that's the truth. I don't know if that's what happened but I want to know so like (laughs) was this something that you kind of um, had a sense of what the whole poem would look like uh, towards the beginning of the process of writing it or were you kind of figuring it out as you went
1: totally figuring it out as I went I was literally like okay this is this is from teaching this is from teaching because I was like we have to teach non or we have to I have to teach fiction and I was like well I don't really know how to do that but I really like George Saunders. So let me just like read some George Saunders stuff. And he he has this quote where he's like, it's not like you're walking down the street and you're like, I'm going to dig up a body. It's like you're walking down the street and all of a sudden there's a shovel in your hand. And then you're like, well, what do people do with shovels? They're like, well, I guess now that I have this random shovel, like, I don't know, like, I should probably start digging. And then you, like, dig and dig and dig. And then you're like, okay, I guess there's a body here. That's weird. <laughs> and that's, like, how I think about this knockoff George Saunders poem again, which is just, like, <laughs> me being, like, I – every single person I talked to for, like, a week, and this is not – time is not real to me, but I watched Babe, and I was like, can you – I was like, this is crazy. Like literally like the first six lines of this poem was just like me doing bits to my friends, like texting this 10 people, like the same joke over and over and over. And then just like, I think one day it kind of just like, I kind of just like threw this up and kept following it and kept following it. And also babe like takes place in this weird, like everyone has an American accent, but it's in Australia. Cause it was like written by George Miller and like, it's like in, but it's English but it's like not English. And so like, it's just this weird, like nothingness space. And I like that too. That was inspiring me. I was just like, yeah. well, I
0: mean, I mean, I think I absolutely love George Saunders. So I love the George Saunders reference. (laughs) And I think that George Saunders would, um, would argue that the nothingness space is what you strive for as an author and you just follow (laughs) the words, right? Like the next thing comes to you from the nothingness space,
1: Yes, I mean, like, once I was, like, let me start off, once I found Gary, I was, like, yeah, let's keep
0: going. Let's follow Gary.
1: Let's just follow Gary. But, I mean, like, I'm not joking, like, you should watch Babe, though. This is my uh, sponsored Disney Plus, or whatever, (laughs) content. I mean, it's, like, really crazy, like... I like personally, like I was literally like bopping around and then all of a sudden my life got changed by COVID. And this is probably like a much sweeter version of that. That, ugh, That's so annoying when you like realize what poems are actually about. Let's keep that between <laughs> us.
0: <laughs> um, Another person who was like a huge influence for George Saunders was uh, uh, Donald Barthelme. And yeah. have you read much of his stuff?
1: I've read this school. I taught that.
0: Oh man, the school it's like is the best wild. Story ever. Yeah, it really is. And <laughs> I mean, I read this and I thought this could be just. I mean, this could be a Donald Barthelme short story. It's that's just the like, nicest it's wild thing you know Anyone
1: ever said. Well, I mean, like that's. I also started reading. I've I've gone through many phases of like what will keep me sane during quarantine, and this was written. I think it's like that, like yeah, attempt another attempt to like write a short story kind of I don't know
0: well um know. yeah there's definitely like um short story like aspects to to this poem right
1: that was such a good compliment thank you I'm gonna tell the Donald everyone Barthelme one. yeah <laughs> it's the That's
0: first right. thing I wrote down I read it and I was like this is a Donald Barthelme story I was like this is wonderful <laughs> and he, he really is one of my favorites him and, and George Saunders both so I should read more of him
1: And also, I will say, like, mm, a lot of it, again, like, it's just, I love literature, obviously. And I spent two weeks, like, just listening to this movie podcast where they did bits about movies. And then I watched one of the movies and wrote this poem. Like, it comes from many (laughs)
0: things. So, you're going to be moving back to Wisconsin, you you Hmm. they recently it was announced you're going to be the 2020 2021 jc and ruth hall's poetry fellow at the university of wisconsin um are you excited to move back to wisconsin
1: so excited (laughs) well like i said i got denied from the mfa program like multiple times so it's
0: as part of this fellowship are you teaching
1: yeah undergrads again yeah we'll see uh but i yeah, online, in person—I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, it's next get, semester, who knows, right? Yeah, it'll be good. It's just like time to teach and think and write, and that's the most valuable thing.
0: So, when Except you finished, coming. when you finished at NYU, did you know that you wanted to apply to fellowships, or were you? Um, were there other things that you thought about doing?
1: Yeah, no, I want—I don't want to live in the real world. I'm like, let me please stay out of the real world as long as possible. That's another like I mean, it was like a really hmm there's systems set up in the in the MFA program. I think I I would hope that this is that everyone were like it was really easy for me to be like, okay, what should I apply for? And they were like, da 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 apply to all this stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. You have an
1: MFA. We know this is where people usually apply. Um, and that was really helpful, you know, it's like hard. Um, but yeah, I definitely was like, I'm really close to having this manuscript. I want to move back to Wisconsin. What if? Yeah. <laughs> well, I say,
0: I say as long as someone's willing to pay you to write. Take it. Take it.
1: That's basically what I was like. I was like, I like this. People paying me to sit around and read LBJ biographies thing. How would Babe. make that and watch Babe? That's what I need. I just need time to think. I mean, yeah, yeah. that's my writing process. <laughs> 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 I just got the uh, Las Vegas season of the Real World um, from two thousand two, so I'm like, okay, I'm going to watch this, and maybe a poem will come out of it. It's research, docu poetics. <laughs> <laughs>
0: If all I right so it. before we uh wrap this up i have one more really important question that i want to ask you as you can tell i look through your twitter <laughs> for things to ask you for this interview and um garth brooks
1: yes i was like please ask me about garth
0: <laughs> <laughs> what do you want to so know before well how about i just like count to three and then we both say our favorite garth brooks song you okay. ready
1: yeah
0: you got it, you got it it's easy. Easy. All right. One, two, three. Colin yeah, Baton again, Rouge. Is oh <laughs> yes. There is
1: no, I mean, there's a lot of other really great songs. <laughs>
0: Shameless oh, is, is my SFA. number
1: two. Shameless's Shameless is a great is song. Two. We could talk about Garth Brooks forever, but yeah. I, before I got my MFA, I like lived at home for a year and sobered up, and my dad got me a car, 1997 Chevy Lumina, that only had a tape player. And, like, I went up to this, the, my mom's, like, attic, and there was, like, a bunch of Garth Brooks tapes. And I was, like, I know all these songs by <sighs> <heart."> <sighs> Yeah. Well. Any, well, I'll stop talking about Garth Brooks.
0: I mean, we can talk about Garth Brooks all day. We'll just call <laughs> yeah. this uh, MFA Writers Talk Garth Brooks. That's funny. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so let's start recording now. Okay.
0: Yeah. <laughs>